welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a bass player, composer, and producer from the Netherlands, Jasper Sumset. Hello, everybody. This is Leander from Improv Exchange, and today we have Jasper Somsen. Did I say that wrong? It's not that's right. Oh, that's a first. Nice. I got a name right for once. Okay, but <laughs> can you please tell the people about yourself, like your education, where you're based? Okay, well, I'm a Dutch double bassist, a composer and producer. I'm based in the Netherlands, in Europe. Uh, I live a one-hour drive from Amsterdam, so most people know where Amsterdam is, so it's just one-hour one drive east. Um, I went back to my hometown in 2006, and I'm living there. It's a very small town, nothing really particular, except for a very nice university. Um, I studied uh, jazz double bass at the Conservatory of Utrecht. It's only a half an hour drive from Amsterdam. I uh, also did my master jazz in Amsterdam, and also an extra classical double bass education also in Amsterdam. So I've been a scholar for quite a while um, due to my, my broad interest in music. But uh, my, my speci specialism, my specialty is, is uh, jazz double bass and also crossover with film music. Uh, most of the time I play pizzicato, which is plucking with the fingers. And, uh, and I love to play arco, so with the bow as well. And uh, besides uh, being a double bassist, I love to write my own music, uh, being a band leader. And since a couple of years, I am a producer at Challenge Records International, which is one of the major uh, labels in the Netherlands for jazz and in particular classical music. So that's, uh, that's, that's my background. Uh, of course, I've been studying with, with the many uh, jazz musicians here. Um, uh, also, I had lessons with, with the great John Clayton, uh, for the people who don't know, uh, the double bassist John Clayton is married with a Dutch woman, so sometimes he went over to the Netherlands also to conduct and play with the Metropole Orchestra. Uh, so I had lessons with with John, uh, which wow. which is uh, a very well, a very important part also of my my education. And now he helped me out with, you know, living your life as a musician in music the best you can. Okay, nice, man. Well, I know you from the trio album you did with Lynn and yeah. with Bob Shepard. I'm a huge Kendrick Scott fan. So the okay. fact that you got to record <laughs> with nice. him is just like... <laughs> well, who, who isn't a huge Kendrick Scott fan? <laughs> so, so I was really thrilled when our, Bob told me that, uh, that Kendrick would be at the album. So there's so much I want to go into on just those two albums. But first, tell us about your professor. So you, how did that affect your... or? motivate your training uh, and you mean john clayton yes in, in john. particular yeah well uh, john clayton first of all is uh, besides an excellent bassist conductor uh, composer arranger uh, he's he's human above all and uh when he shares something with somebody it's it's about life it's it's larger than just playing double bass it's just larger than than anything. So he shares the way you deal with business. He shares the way um, you look his, his perspective on life and living as a musician. Um, it's, it's very, very inspiring. And also yesterday night, luckily I tuned in in time at Facebook 
uh, when he was on, on Gil Boyd's page, uh, the alternative venues for jazz, and talking a half an hour about his life and what he thinks about music. And um, everybody who wants to know and wants to learn uh, more about John Clayton, please go to alternative venues uh, in jazz by Gil Boyd on Facebook and check out if there's still this half an hour with John Clayton because it's just fantastic. Okay. Now, the Lynn album, unfortunately, it came out when Corona really ticked off in America, like because it was right. late March. So yeah. I don't know if you've even got the press it deserves to the people over uh, here. But yeah, yeah, we got the we got the press that deserves. It's it's the Lino Real album. It's in fact our second album. I'm also the producer of the album. Well, let's say co-producer because Lynn and our Lynn and I we work we really collaborate together. For me, being a producer is not being somebody's on top and telling everybody what to do. For me, it's just being a kind of, let's say, uh, a point guard. Uh, you know, make sure that all the processes just run well, that everybody's comfortable at the studio and, and make sure we get a great mix and a great master. And I think along with the leader, in this case, Lynn Ariel, um, yeah, about the choice of repertoire, being a sidekick, on, on any decision and sometimes maybe making a decision as well or doing it together so for me being a producer is really just getting into the process with somebody and just you know being also uh, the, the the guy in between the the record label and make and the, and the musicians so with lynn uh, we did two albums the first was give us these days which was released a couple of years ago and uh, in March, uh, with Lynn, uh, we had our second album, which was partly recorded in New York uh, last summer and, uh, and partially recorded in Belgium, or mostly recorded. The trio part was recorded in Belgium, and two songs with vocals were recorded in New York. And so to get back to your question, uh, yes, uh, luckily we got a lot of press on it. Uh, we, we did really well. We were the editor's pick in Downbeat. Uh, we were for a couple of weeks in the top 20 of the uh, radio jazz charts, in, uh, jazz week. Jazz week, yeah. And, okay. yeah, and, and the highest ranking was, was number eight. So that's in fact, nice. uh, there okay. was very nice. Yeah. We got a couple of very nice reviews also in Europe and, uh, and England. So except for Corona, the Corona crisis, you know, which of course hit everybody, um, yeah, we, we get enough press, but unfortunately we can not tour in Europe, for example, next October. And that's, that's, that's too bad. That's unfortunate and feeling yeah. good. My favorite track on that album, dude. Okay. Nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just upset. Cause you know, you didn't get the tour over here on that also. Yeah, of course. But you know, it's, it's the same for everybody. We're right now we're more or less in the postponing business. <laughs> so yeah. just, it is what it is. Now, being the selfish person I am, how is it that we record with Kendrick? I'm just curious. Okay, so we go, now we go to the Bob Shepard album, which, which of course, is a, is a long story as well, because I uh, met Bob in 2013 in Bremen in Germany uh, during the Jazz Ahead Trade Fair, which is one of the major international jazz trade fairs. And, um, and we got... We became friends almost instantly. And then it took a couple of years in 2015 for me to get him over to the Netherlands for a week of touring and being in the recording studio. And um, 
we wanted to record a couple of things, or radio studio, I should say. And um, we wanted to record a couple of things live, but uh, we didn't release it. So we waited. And then at a certain point, Challenge Records said, well, let's, let's do an album with Bob. So in 2018, I flew to Los Angeles to record the album with John Beasley. And, uh, and Bob, at a certain point, said, well, uh, can we... Scott is available for, and let's record with him. What do you think? And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course, you know, I'm all for it. So working with Kendrick is, is, is wonderful. Uh, he's a very quiet guy, not saying that much. He just flew in the, in the day itself. And just a couple of hours later in the studio, I was just sitting there recording and everything fell just perfectly in place. And I think that's, uh, you read that the album is playing is spontaneous, is um, it's sparkling, it's well everything you can expect from uh, from from Kendrick. And, uh, playing with him was really easy. You know, I never had to worry about anything that was happening in the drums. Well, you being a producer, also, is there mm-hmm. a certain method or mindset you have when you choose who's going to play on any album? Well, the thing is, um, it depends if it's, if I'm the band leader of as well, of course, I, I choose the musicians and, um, of course I talk it over also a little bit with, uh, with the record company, but most of the time I'm, I'm absolutely free artistically what I want to do and how we we're going to do things. Um, if I'm the producer for somebody else's album in the case of Bob Shepard or, uh, Lynn Ariel, um, I'm not too pushy about, you know, pushing uh, people just like we have to have this drummer or that saxophone player or no, because most of the time when I collaborate with, with people, uh, we're already good related and we'll figure it out. It's a matter of figuring it out. And in case, except, uh, for example, with, with EJ, having EJ Strickland on the second album within Oreo, because on the first album there was a Dutch drummer. Uh, we just made a list of drummers we prefer and uh, we listened and well, Lynn and I, uh, we spoke about it for let's say half an hour and then we decided which drummer could be best and then EJ Strickland uh, was okay and uh, joined the trio. So this is how it works. It's more, it's more organically. It's not me being on top and saying top down like we're going to do it this way or that way. It's, it's, that's only in cases that I'm really responsible for something. And if I'm not taking the responsibility, something goes wrong, but most of the time that's not the case. Okay. So what would you tell somebody who's trying to get into the recording business, like wants to be a freelance artist and gets into that circle? Because you said that's pretty much people you have relationships with before. Well, well, that's, that's pretty interesting because, um, and now I'm quoting uh, John Clayton uh, from his, uh, his half an hour yesterday on Facebook, the live stream, um, he said it's not about networking, it's about uh, having relations with, with people, you know, having good relations with people gets you further. So if you want to be into the recording business and you want to be a producer, make sure you get to know people and uh, not in a superficial way, not like you come over and you promote yourself and you say, hi, I'm uh, musician X and uh, this is my product Y and I want uh, uh, this or this and this this is this is uh, no, uh, this is my this is my goal this is not how it works 
most of the time you start talking with people, uh, you get to know them, you're interested both ways. And uh, at a certain point, people start asking you to do certain things. And that's, that's a long run. You really have to invest in people and not into the networking. So it's, it's a relationship thing. Okay. Hopefully the younger artists take a note of that. Mm-hmm. So how did you get in- involved? And actually, well, before that, I just want to know, what made you decide to go more towards the jazz side versus the classical side? Um, well, that was, that was already a very early call because I grew up with classical music, jazz music, and, and also later on pop music. And jazz was the most natural to me. The, 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 when I was 15, 16 years old and I decided to become a professional musician, I was playing bass guitar and I changed to double bass. And my first choice was just to play jazz. The, the freedom, the, the improvisation, uh, being the only bass player in the band, uh, being able to uh, have, a, have a great conversation on stage with uh, my fellow musicians. Um, I love composed music. I love to play everything that's written. It's not one or the other, but just being totally free to express yourself think that's mainly um, mainly the reason why just music chose me. Okay. And my other question before that was, so what made, how did you get into those inner circles, you personally? Um, well, it's a long process. First, uh, you, you get into, uh, you get to know musicians, musicians know other people, uh, people invite you to come over, people uh, suggest you to play, perform. It's it's just a very long, very long road on on relationships, and and the further you get, and the harder you work because it's it's really a lot of work. Uh, at a certain point, it pays off, and it also helped me that I was a programmer for ten years in my hometown, um, which we, uh, we we built like like a concert series from. Uh, like the national top in the Netherlands, which of course I already knew my fellow colleagues to an international concert series, having people like Richard Bona or John Pettitucci performing in my hometown. And then you get to learn managers as well, bookers. Then you learn how to deal with huge American contracts, which are most of the time way bigger than Dutch contracts because of all the legal issues. Um, so you got to learn the business. You got to learn so much more than just playing well, very well your instrument and being a musician. Okay, so tell us the difference between the American scene and the Dutch scene, since you brought that up. Um, I think in general, because of course, jazz music is, is black music. And of course, it's, it's your tradition. It's, 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 I think that one of the biggest musical art forms uh, in the world and also, you know, really originally American and, and, and black American. Um, of course, American people grow up with jazz music and not all the people in Europe grow up with jazz music. Um, where originally, things are a little, little different right now. Uh, originally, we were more classically trained. Uh, of course, there's pop music, there's jazz music, but just the roots are in the, in the in the United States, and you feel this in the entire scene. Um, a good example is, of course, the Dutch jazz scene is, is small. Uh, 
Here we have a couple of very good drummers. If I go to New York, I can make a list of maybe 30, 50 drummers that would just, you know, kill me every night. Um, the level in the US is so high and I don't want to put down the level here in, in Europe. Uh, it's, it's just different. There are different qualities to it. Um, but yeah, American is, you know, it doesn't get any better than the original, honestly. Uh, so, you know, the, the great jazz music was founded in the US and that's what you hear. This was, this is what you feel. And there's also a different mentality. Uh, I think people in the US work way harder. Whoa, way, whoa, way whoa, harder. whoa. You think they make work and, harder? Yeah, well, they work harder than in, than in Europe. We work hard, but, um, for example, here, if we rehearse, we have like a two hour rehearsal, maybe three. Uh, there's a break in between, people chat a little bit. Uh, when I'm in New York, you have a four-hour rehearsal and there's only just a toilet break and a bottle of water and you just go on. So there, there's there's another mentality to it. That one, uh, I don't know. I never really stayed long-term in the music scene in Europe, so I can't really add to that, but I beg to differ on that. Yeah. And also, I don't know if I would agree with you that Everyone grows up with jazz music over here. Okay. Well, maybe not everybody, but uh, a major part does. Maybe this, is, this is my, my very European and maybe very Dutch point of view. Okay. I, I'm not going to question or challenge your point of view on that. No, <laughs> what makes you, you know, say that? Only, you know, if you see the, 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 the high-level quality of the New York jazz scene or the, the Los Angeles jazz scene, you know, that's that's really something and i love playing with european musicians and i don't it doesn't feel any less here but it's just different it's just different okay. and uh and i and i love and that's that's the thing that bugged me the most of corona my my us uh, artist permit was um uh, was confirmed last march and I, i'm well, right now I'm legally <laughs> allowed to perform in, in the U.S. And I, I even had concerts in New York in the beginning of May and everything was canceled, uh, canceled due to Corona. So, uh, but I love being in New York and play with, uh, with New York musicians. And, uh, yeah. Okay. This is, this is my opinion and people may have a different opinion, of course. So what is something you realize from the academic world to the producing world? to the performing world. Um, can you specify that question? So what is, you think is the biggest difference from you being in the academic world mm -hmm. as a professor sometimes versus being a producer versus yeah. actually performing? Well, I, for me, there's, there's only the, the difference, the difference of course is, is the audience and the people you work with. And for me, it's not really different as, as being a different person when I'm, I'm teaching or being a different person when I'm producing or when I'm on stage. For me, that's, it's, it's all the same, but it's, it's just uh, the difference of, of being a teacher and, well, students have to learn something or being inspired or, you know, getting any further. Uh, being a producer, uh, I always love to involve the students in the processes of me being a producer and uh, and being on stage. 
show them uh, anything they have to learn, which what, what's necessary for that particular student or group of students, uh, to give them the information they need. And, uh, for me, it's sharing is caring. So, and the same thing goes the other way around. Um, when I'm on stage, I share the music with the audience. And uh, there might be some people in the audience who learn something new or just enjoy it. And being in the, uh, in the studio, of course, is different because then you're really working on an album, uh, which eventually at the end becomes a product and gets into the market. Uh, but uh, still, you're, you're, you're working on the same story, but it's just a different perspective. Okay. And what is something people seem to misunderstand about the music world? In, in what case? As just being an artist in general. Well, if there's something that people don't uh, misunderstand in the music world is that people, uh, a lot of people right now in this particular time frame think that uh, major DJs are uh, really musicians, really school musicians. I hear a lot of youngsters say uh, that a DJ is a great musician, and some of them maybe are, uh, but most of them, of course, they it's they work. It's, it's more like a kind of patchwork creation of music, which is a can be an art form as well. Uh, I don't want to dismiss the the DJ scene. But it's really something different from somebody who actually learned a real, to play a real instrument, whether it's classical music, jazz music, or pop music, or whatever. Okay, that's fair. I don't know much about the DJ scene, so I can't really add much to that conversation. I mean, that part of the discussion. So, mm -hmm. could you tell us where do you think jazz will be in ten years? Evolving as, as, as ever, you know, we, most of the musicians, they, they love the tradition and uh, learn from it and, and make something new. Where it really goes, we never know. You know, 10 years ago, we didn't know where it would go. And like 20 years ago, we didn't know. Only a few people might uh, be like, like trailblazers or people who are really know where things are going, like people like Miles Davis, for example. Uh, he had a perfect kind of view or radar on which direction music could go. And uh, I think musicians of that quality and that level are still here around us, but not as promoters, promoted as much as, as, as back in the day. And uh, I think uh, today I was teaching at, at the conservatory here in, in the Netherlands. I'm a guest teacher right now. And I was playing with, with young German musicians and they still listen to Jim Hall and Bill Frizzell and all the greats and love Wes Montgomery uh, the same way I did like, like 20 or 30 years ago. So um, I think we, we, we pass on the flame to everybody. But do and, you think uh, the scene will get bigger or smaller? I don't know. I don't know if it... I, I really can't answer this question because um, hopefully bigger, hopefully maybe also due to Corona that people start to realize uh, what the real things in life, the real quality, the thing instead of real quality, like great music, uh, how much we 
maybe if people start to realize how much we can lose also due to Corona or do all the processes that are happening right now in the world, uh, hopefully people start to realize what, what in life has a real quality, what's, 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 what's really worth living for. And that's a love, great music. Uh, well, you name it, you know, uh, I hope, I do hope so. And we get more musicians also when we have more audiences. Uh, because more musicians are, will be able to make a living from, from, from playing. So we need audiences. We need everybody. It's, it's the one with the other. Okay. Well, could you tell us about some of the film scores you performed on? Uh, mostly there were new scores written by, uh, by Dutch musicians. Um, uh, most of the time there were assignments by like, uh, film companies in, in Germany or French, uh, France. And um, uh, I've never written a film score myself. I'm, I'm writing for small ensembles, so I'm not that big a composer, like, like an orchestra composer. Uh, so we did German films, uh, French films. Um, Any that the people in the States would know? Mm, yeah, well... There's, there's a beautiful animation film. It's called um, The Red Turtle. Uh, some people know it. And I play also in a group and we impro improvise live with, uh, with, with the movie. So we don't, you know, we just start playing and the film takes us somewhere also musically or anywhere musically. Um, we did, uh, we, back in the day, we did a lot of Charlie Chaplin movies. Uh, Buster Keaton, uh, Laurent Hardy. Also playing in, at film festivals in uh, in Berlin and Bologna, Italy. Uh, also in Switzerland, Germany, um, Belgium, the Netherlands, and also we went to Finland. And some of the musicians also uh, traveled with with the band leader to Los Angeles or uh, to Bangkok for for concerts. Uh, actually, there was a concert planned last June in Bangkok for our group, but of course due to Corona, it was cancelled. Oh, okay. Well, if you could remove all the barriers, constraints, what type of project would you make and who would be on it? Well, <laughs> for you, that's what I'm so, saying. I'm curious. Okay, so like I just talk freely. <laughs> like I give you a $5 million budget and I say, okay. give me the best album you think you can make. Oh, wow. Sure. Well, I've, I have a long list of people I would love to work with. What style would uh, be at least? Would it be? But uh, if I could ever record an album with Chick Corea, that would be awesome. That would be really awesome. And um, I love Chick Corea. I, I love piano trios in general. So also Keith Jarrett. And uh, I'm also working with uh, with a great Italian pianist, Enrico Pietanunzi. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful player, and that was already a major dream come true. Uh, so I already feel very fortunate. Uh, I would love to record more with Bob Shepard and John Beasley and uh, uh, a couple of West Coast musicians. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Yeah, there's so many, <laughs> so many things. If I would have five million bucks, you know, then, uh, then I would do several projects, of course. But if I can choose one, that would be with, uh, with Chikoria. For sure. One with Chikoria, okay. What style yeah, of Chikoria's music? Yeah, 
well, I, I would love to play his music, of course, and uh, maybe we could mix and match something, but uh, and any music would be just fine with, with Jake. Okay. And the choice is particular because when I turned to double bass, uh, when I was like 15, 16 years old, uh, my first real bass teacher, he was a huge John Petitucci fan. So he gave me all this music, so I couldn't stop listening to, to Chick and uh, uh, his trios uh, with, with Miroslav Vitas and Roy Haynes or the acoustic band or whatever he did, you know, and it got me also into to Miles in the 60s. And um, so Chick is kind of, well, key piano player at a key moment in my life. Understood. So what is the best compliment you ever received as an artist? Uh, well, the most emotional was that, um, well, everybody knows the nuclear disaster at Fukushima in Japan. I do. And, and it was, I think it was about 10, nine or 10 or nine years ago. I don't know exactly when it was, but, uh, my first album, a challenge record was released and, uh, it was distributed worldwide. And at a certain point, a Japanese man wrote me uh, via Facebook, via messenger text, a personal message that uh, he was one of the, his family was one of the victims at Fukushima. And he didn't know where all his relatives and friends were. He was just all alone. He couldn't sleep at night, but listening to my music soothed him and made him sleep maybe a couple of hours. And he was just listening to my album over and over again. And just you know, wandering and crying where his family was, and just the music of this album uh, gave him a little comfort, a little solace at, at the moment of totally despair. I think if something happens like this, that's the biggest compliment you can get. Wow. Well, okay. I don't know how this. That's deep. <laughs> Yeah, man. Okay. And yeah, that's, that's, that's something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really, you know, I was, I, I read this message over again, over and over again. And, you know, I, you know, I started to cry when I read that, you know, I was really like, wow. You know, people can tell you how great you are and great music and how much they love your music. And I really appreciate all the compliments and all sorts of compliments of people. But this, yeah, this is so deep. This is something so. No, that's deep. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, so are there any jazz artists you wish to give a shout out or talk about quickly? Well, um, well, I spoke about Petitucci. I spoke about um, John Clayton. Um, how is right EJ? Now, how's EJ? EJ, yes. is he? I, I, lo I love to work with EJ. Okay, uh, I I love the guy. Uh, he's he's he feels like a brother to me. Uh, unfortunately, we don't see each other that much because, we're, of course, we live on both sides of the pond. Uh, but um, you know, every time when I play with him, it's just natural. It, he's uh, he's a great hang after the concerts. We have lots of fun, especially because he's from Florida when he starts to 
when he's funny, he starts to talk a little bit with a southern accent. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a great hang. It's great music. And he's always there. It's always there. Musically. He's always present. He's very self-conscious. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to meet him again and play and just do concerts. So, yeah. Okay. DJ is one of my favorite drummers. So before we go, we normally like to give a shout out and show respects to the artists who came before us. I'm going to tell you an okay. instrument and two artists. Choose one and tell us why. On trumpet, Wynton Marcellus or yeah. Christian Scott? Wow, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a really hard one. Um, I listen more to Wynton. So Wynton. On saxophone, Sony Rollins or Wayne Shorter? Oh, man. Impossible questions. Uh, Wayne. Okay. But it's not only because of the saxophone, because, uh, uh, well, you, you can choose between these two, but I, lo I love Wayne's compositions as well. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. On piano. Horace Silver or Andrew Hill? Um, Horace. Okay. On drums, Eric Holland or Jonathan Blake? Gee, <laughs> that's the same odd one. Uh, well, I met Jonathan Blake and he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. He's, he's a sweetheart. So sorry, Eric and Jonathan. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna go with him. Fine, fine, fine. And because I like messing with people with their own instrument, on bass. Okay. Christian McBride or Stanley Clark? Oh, Chris McBride for sure. Okay, that was too easy then. Ray Brown or Paul <laughs> <Yeah>. Chambers? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, well. Yeah, well, this, this is, these are deep questions. These questions are very hard. Okay, uh, Ray Brown. Okay, and I'm going to ask you why Christian McBride? You said it so quick, that's why. Uh, Chris McBride, because I'm, I'm really fond of his playing. I really, really respect Sandy Clark. And of course, in the line of history, uh, we're all somewhere directly or indirectly influenced by Sandy Clark. But the way Christian McBride especially on the double bass, but he's also very, he's, he's, a, he's a badass player on the bass guitar as well. He, well, well he's using the tradition of, of course, of Ray Brown and John Clayton, but just bring it in his own perspective. And everybody sounds better when you hear Chris McBride play on the album. Everybody, whatever album it is, whether he's playing with Chick whether he was playing with uh, Joshua Redman and Brett Meldau. And um, yeah, I love, I love his attitude to the bass as well. It's, it's just, it's, it's just a wonderful musician. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I'll leave you alone then on that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Jasper, can you tell everyone where to find you, how to contact you, your social media, et cetera? Uh, yeah. Well, my website is jaspersomson.com. And uh, you find anything about my albums and as a producer, bassist, uh, education, whatever. 
And I'm also on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn. So you can find me in, on Facebook. There are two pages. There's the double basis composer producer page and also my private page. But mainly I use my private page as well as uh, for posting things about music. So you can like one page or become a friend on Facebook. And there are only three Jasper Thompsons in the world and there's only one playing double bass. So I think you'll find me. Okay. Well, Jasper, once again, thank you for coming on. It means a lot. Uh, well, Appreciation of neutral, Leander. Thanks. So be safe over there. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you and have a good day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.